0: listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Hard to believe that this is the last sermon in this series, what if I don't know what I believe. Eight in the last eight weeks, and then last year we covered eight weeks. And so what we're talking about are the foundational beliefs of our church, our 16 articles of faith now i saw an illustration by a preacher not long ago and i thought it was really good he used a rope and he said uh just suppose with me that this rope never ends okay so i'm pulling this out of a basket and you're pretty smart people you're saying you know what i bet the end of that rope is in the bottom of the basket well you're probably right but just imagine with me that it never ends that i could do this for hours In fact, I could do this for days. I could do this for weeks. You'll come in and the whole room would just be filled with rope. What if the rope never ended? So imagine that with me, that this rope never ends. It has no end. If that is what you can imagine, then what the rope represents is your life. In fact, it's a timeline of your life. Your life starts here and it never ends. And the red part, that you see right here represents your time on this earth. See, the Bible teaches us very clearly that when your life on this earth comes to an end right here, it doesn't mean that's the end. Paul and other New Testament writers celebrate that one day, when, when I die, when I leave this world, well, that's not the end at all. In fact, my life will never end. It just keeps going on and on and on and on and on and on forever. Jesus talks about you having life eternal. It just won't ever end. It will never stop. It just goes on and on and on and on it goes. It's eternal. Now here's what the temptation is that we face. We tend to sometimes only live for this life. Without regard for what happens after this life. And what becomes kind of comical is that some of us think, okay, if I live this part of my life wisely and I save really well and I'm really careful, then this much of my life could be really, really good. You know, without any regard for what happens for billions and billions and billions and billions of years. Now the reason I think it's so important to talk about it is because how I live from here to here determines all of this. How I live my life from here to here has complete influence on what all of this looks like for me. So I'm going to say really one thing well to you today, and, and this is it, okay? Okay. Life's choices have eternal consequences. So if tonight you're with friends and somebody says to you, what did you do today? And you say, "Um, I went to church this morning and they say, did did that guy talk? Yeah? So what did he talk about today? I I would love it if you will be able to say, here's what he talked about. He said that Life's choices, the choices I make now in my life, will have eternal consequences. What I do from here to here, okay, is going to determine everything about my life as it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Because life's choices has eternal consequences, So, some of you may be saying, I would like another opinion, please. Can I get a second opinion? Can we ask, what do the theologians say about all of this? So, uh, I'd be glad to share that with you. So, the theologians who represent us as a church, the global church of the Nazarene around the world, they say, yeah, let's talk about that. So, they say, we believe in regard to the resurrection and judgment and destiny of human life. They say, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That the bodies of both the just and of the unjust, you have to decide which category you're in, shall be raised to life. Alright? We believe in the future judgment in which every person shall appear before God. So that means that one day I'm going to die, they're going to bury me, My wife and my daughters and some friends are going to gather around and hopefully they'll say some nice things. And then after that, what happens? Well, we believe that I will one day be resurrected and I will be given a new body. And after I'm resurrected and I have this new body, then I'm going to stand before God to be judged, okay? Before God to be judged according to his or her deeds, how I lived this much of my life, okay, in this life. We believe that glorious and everlasting life is assured to all who savingly believe in and obediently follow Jesus Christ our Lord. Seatbelts. You better buckle up. And that the finally impenitent, those who have not repented, those who are not sorry for their sins, Those who have not asked for forgiveness shall suffer eternally. So that means forever. Never stops in hell. That's what we believe. All right. uh, Can I get one of those living room conversations with you? You know me. Many of you have been. here all the six years that I've been here. You've listened to me preach over and over again and you know what I'm like. And you know that I don't come in and try to manipulate you. And I don't throw out words to try to scare you. I don't think I've ever tried to scare the hell out of anybody. It's not been my mode of operation. But when I got into this series about what we believe... I begin to deal with this issue, okay? If, if I'm not going to stand here on Sunday morning and talk to you about what it is that we actually believe, about these 16 foundational beliefs that form our system of beliefs, then who's going to? Who's going to have an open, honest conversation with you about eternity, eternity, And judgment. And so I think it's my place to do it. And so if you ask, well, where do you get this stuff? Well, let me take you to 2 Corinthians, okay? Chapter 5, and I'm going to go through verse 6 through 10. And here's here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, so I have a body... It's not the body I wish I had, but I have one. I've got flesh and blood. Blood flows through my veins. I've got a skeleton inside all of this that keeps it all upright and gives form to all of this, okay? Not the form I wish I had, but there is form here. So we know that confident that as long as we are at home in the body, that we are actually away from the Lord. As long as I'm in this part right here, the red part, I'm not yet in this part where I'm just with the Lord always, okay? For we live by faith. All right? I can see this much. I can't see all of this. We live by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, I say, and would be, and he's speaking for himself and fellow Christians, would be preferred to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, you you may not say that's where I'm at. We'll talk about it in a minute. So, what do we do? We make it our goal to please Him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And here's why we do, he says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You, me, everybody, all of us, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us, for the things done while in the body, okay, whether good or bad. This is God's Word. I was uh, with some folks that I asked to meet with me, and I do this often, and uh because I tend to think like a 56-year-old white male, uh, I sometimes ask people of other ages, backgrounds, to get with me. And what I do is I actually pitch the sermon to them, okay? Uh, what do you mean? You preach to them? Yeah, I kind of do. And, and, and I kind of do it in sections, and I ask them to respond, because I just think like I think. And, and I, don't, I don't know how sometimes younger people are thinking. It's really helpful. And so I pitched this sermon to a group of people. And this one young uh, gal, a millennial, uh, says to me, Well, Pastor, if you want me to be honest with you, I'm okay to be honest with you about what I feel about your sermon. And I said, Okay, I, I want you to be honest. If you're not you know, giving me your heart, it's not helping. And she says, Okay, here's how I think. And I think people like me think. It's hard for any of us, and I'm just quoting her word for word. You ready? It's hard for any of us to believe that a loving God would actually allow any of us to go to hell. It's hard for me and people I know to believe that God would deny us access into heaven. See, the, the whole series, we're asking the question, so what do you believe? I was in my office this week and uh, I saw this text appear on my phone. And it's it's a group of pastors from all over the U.S. Okay, there's maybe 30 of us on the group text. And uh, maybe 40. And uh, and and I looked over when it lit up, and and here's what one pastor said to another: "Hey Mark, I just saw that you did Charles Manson's funeral. What was that like?" I mean, I'm like, what? And I go online, and I and sure enough, there is a funeral folder, the service. And, and the pastor officiating was my friend Mark. And so I just started texting him like, Mark, what was that like? You know, but what did you talk about? Now, if you're younger, you may not remember Charles Manson, but in 1969, he was a, a, a cult leader and an American criminal. And he ordered and orchestrated the murder of nine people. Uh, he was the helter-skelter guy. And he believed that uh, there was going to be this apocalyptic race war. And, uh, and, and he was a person to me who just personified evil. And Mark says, no, I don't mind telling you at all. I, I talked about the fact that Charles Manson made a lot of choices in his life and, and they were destructive to himself and many other people. But then I celebrated that his grandchildren have made other choices primarily to follow Jesus. And that their choices were having a very different impact on the world. I don't think he felt any pressure to try to preach Charles Manson into heaven. I mean, after all, he was Charles Manson. And to Mark's knowledge and to my knowledge, this man never repented. If he ever could get in front of a camera while he was in prison, and he didn't die until he was in his mid-80s, he would do something crazy like stick out his tongue and open his eyes really wide. He was never sorry. He only laughed at what happened to his victims. Okay, you ready? Would God let Charles Manson go to hell? If he truly never repented... Would God deny Charles Manson access to heaven? You see, Paul is writing to these early believers in Corinth... It's a church that he had planted. He had shared the gospel with them, and they embraced Jesus, and they began to follow Jesus. And then he went away after he had discipled them for a while to plant more churches, and he gets word that they're not doing really well. In fact, they're doing bad. And what's going on is that they have great divisions within the body, and they're not getting along with each other, and they're disagreeing, and they have this attitude that if we disagree, then we must divide, and there is a lot of sexual immorality. Did you hear me? There was a lot of sexual immorality. They were doing some bad sexual sin stuff. And they were living without regard for one another. And what Paul is doing, he says, listen guys, okay, this world is not the end. In fact, it doesn't end for you. Your soul will live forever And how you live your life right here determines what all of this is going to be like because choices in life now have eternal consequences. And what you and I have to decide before we maybe even walk out of this room today is do I believe that God really does not tolerate evil and will not allow it into His new creation, heaven? Do you believe that God really does not tolerate evil and will not allow it into His new creation? One of the things I love about Paul's writings is he is faithful to talk about what we should do. And, and he does so here. What do you do with this? What are you going to do now? So you've been exposed to truth. What are you going to do with that truth? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested in 1943 Best known for writing a book called The Cost of Discipleship. But also known and arrested because of his resistance to Nazi dictatorship. Primarily Adolf Hitler, of course. And his resistance to the persecution of the Jewish people. So Bonhoeffer spoke out. They arrested him. Two years after his arrest in the same month, April... On a Sunday morning, he holds a service in this concentration camp for fellow prisoners. And after the service is over, after he says the final prayer, the door opens and two guards say, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. Everybody knows what it means. This is the end. It's hanging. It's the gallows. It's execution. And So Bonhoeffer tells his friends goodbye. And the last friend that he tells goodbye, he hugs. And here's what he says to him. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Because Bonhoeffer believed that after this life on earth ends... There is a resurrection of the body. You will be given a new body and you will stand before God and you will be judged according to how you've lived your life to this point. And Bonhoeffer believed that God would say, Dietrich, enter into everlasting life that never, ever, ever ends. And so when Paul talks about it, he says it this way. So we live, we live by faith, not by sight. Meaning we don't focus on this present world and the sufferings. We focus on the world to come. We don't focus on earth. We focus on heaven. We don't focus on death. We focus on resurrection, okay? We're not living according to what we can see. We focus on what we can't see. And we are confident, I say. And we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Is everybody good with that? I didn't hear a resounding amen. I don't think I would have said amen. Because I know that I want to go to heaven. And I know that I want to be with the Lord forever. But I'm probably more like the little boy in Sunday school whose teacher said, How many of you want to go to heaven? Raise your hands really high. And so everybody raises their hand except one little boy. And the teacher says, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. we got to dig a little deeper here. And she says to the little boy, Don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he says, oh, yes, ma'am, I want to go when I die. I thought you were getting a group together to go now. Now, how many of you would identify with the little boy? There's a bigger amen, I'm assuming. Paul wasn't like that, though. Paul was saying, no, 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 what is unseen has got to be much better than what I can see. And I would gladly trade this world for the next right now. And I don't dream about living a long life on this earth, Paul said. No, I dream about going home and being with the Lord. That's what I dream about. So what about you? Would you gladly trade right now this world for the next? Would you say, no, I don't want to live long. I want to go be with the Lord. And I think the reason we get a little uncomfortable is because one of the reasons for me is I've watched what it's like for a family when somebody dies young. Why, for a young man like me to die now? That'd be hard for my family. I don't want to leave them. I don't want to be separated from them now, do you? I get it. And I have a zeal for life. I want to live. I mean, I've got mission behind me. You know, I want to do what God has called me to do. But there's another side to that. I think if all of us don't get a little hungry for the world after this when something's wrong. uh, We're so full of this world that we don't often find ourselves hungry for God. One writer said it this way. He said, um, with little knowledge of God, And not having tasted much heaven. This world is the only world we can imagine. I overuse the word, but we are a little distracted, don't you agree? And some days it's hard to imagine that there could actually be a world that's better than this one. So, what do you do? You live by faith, not by sight. The second thing he says that you do is that you make it your goal to please Him. Since this is not the end, okay? Since you live forever, you make it your goal to please Him. Because one day you're going to be judged, right? So, um, do you think it's odd that the same guy who said we are saved by grace through faith and that not by works. And you can't boast You think it's odd that the same guy who said we're saved by grace through faith also said we make it our goal to please Him. Wait, if I'm saved by grace through faith and it's not based on what I do, then why am I... What is he saying? You see, it underlines that Paul or any other Testament writer or Jesus ever intended to say that your moral behavior is unimportant. Never. Is that stated anywhere in Scripture? Never is it stated that your moral behavior Behavior is unimportant. You are saved from what? That old life. I don't live that old life anymore. See. And he goes on to say you're saved by grace through faith to do what? Good works. And he has given you the Holy Spirit to enable you to live the life that God has also desired for you to live. But at any moment any of us get to make a choice and we could say bag that idea. I'm just going to go back to doing what I want to do. Hmm. I remember a conversation with a man once about what he believed about death. And I said to him, So, what happens when you die, in your opinion? And he looks at me and he's deliberate, and finally, a little grin breaks across his face and he says, You're dead. I didn't say anything. I just looked at him. I was doing my best. I'm going to stare you down. And then louder he said, You're dead. Poof. That's it. That's the end. There isn't any more after that. You know what I think? I think one of the greatest deceptions... It's for the enemy to try to convince you this is all there is. This is it. There isn't any more. Paul tells us a different story. And what he says is that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, Paul had been to Corinth many times, and if you go into the city, there in the middle of the city is what is called the Forum, lined with many buildings, including some government buildings, but in the middle of the Forum there is a chair, a seat where the Roman governor himself would sit and dispense justice. It was public. Your, your case was tried before the public. Paul was even tried there by the governor of Galeo himself. Galileo found him innocent. And he was set free that time. And you've got to believe it's what's in Paul's mind when he says, all of us will appear before the great judgment seat, not of the governor, no, but of Jesus. And we're going to give an account for everything we did from here to here. And that is going to have eternal consequences. I think that uh, the reason we've talked about what we believe... is because it has a powerful influence on how we live. So well, there's, a, there's another story being told, if you haven't heard it. And the chances are you have. Uh, the other story would be considered a modern view of progress. All right, And uh, that story would say, you know the world's getting better. As it marches into an unending time. I mean the world just keeps getting better we have more money and we have better technology think about this do you realize the era that you're living in a hundred years ago 100 years ago was the first time you were able to go purchase a car and now do you know how nice cars are built full of technology and you set the cruise on 75 and you just go soaring across the country on one of these beautiful highway systems that has been built for you to enjoy? I mean, think about technology. Think about what's happened in the last 100 years. We get on jets and we just jet across to another continent. It's the modern view of progress that says, you know, more money equals a better life. And so therefore, if I believe in this view, then I want to live as long as I can and be as healthy as I can and be as wealthy as I can and just say progress is awesome and it brings a lot of pleasure. It satisfies a lot of your life's cravings. But but we can't buy into this. We have to contrast it with a biblical view of history that says the world is moving toward its appointed end. This world is not going to be here forever. And its appointed end is the judgment of Christ. And so I'm going to bend over one more time and grab this piece of rope and say if that is what I believe then how I live from here to here becomes really, really important. If, if this thing has an end, and it's the judgment of Christ, then it's not about seeking pleasure and progress. It's about living my life to please God. Because the choices I make from here to here have eternal consequences. So you want to stand with me. I love the Sundays when we get to pray together. And so this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to sing, and after we sing, we're going to just take some time to pray. we got a few minutes. And uh, there will be pastors down here. And if you want to go to one of the pastors for any reason, do, Okay. If they get busy, another pastor will just appear. There will be somebody there to pray with you, all right? So if you want to come and pray because during this last few minutes God has spoken to you through His Word, please just come. I mean, you should come. You should come and pray. When you come and pray, it doesn't mean you're becoming a member of the church or anything like that. It's just I'm finding a place to talk to God. I think I want to pray for a little while before I go home. And and, and if, if you want to be prayed for for other reasons like you want to be prayed for for healing, just go to one of those pastors and say, "Would you pray for my healing?" And they will they will do that. Might be going through a tough time, and you want to come and pray about a tough time. Somebody's gotten some really tough news this week. You're hurting. It was hard to focus on the sermon because you were focused on the stuff in your life. Just come and tell Jesus about it. Invite a friend to come with you or invite your whole family to come with you or your small group. I feel like uh, every day of my life I'm praying for somebody that I love and you may want to come and pray for somebody that you love. You should do that if you want to pray for them this morning. It may be this morning that you want to become a follower of Jesus today. That you want to be born again. That you want to have your sins forgiven. And you want to step into this new life where Jesus just changes your heart and makes you new. It's like a rebirth. It's like being born again. You you can do that today. Come and confess your sins. We all have sinned and so we all need a Savior. We all need forgiveness. And if you want a pastor to pray with you, just go to them and say, hey, I want to become a Christian today. And so if you want to pray, I I want you to feel this freedom just to kind of bunch of us, gather around the altars and just just talk to Jesus before we go, okay? So we're going to sing. And if you want to pray, You You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.